Max, so I have a Roku TV. You have, you have a Roku or no? Uh, I used to, but uh, sold it. I got uh, a uh, LG OLED now. Well, that's better. All right. Like I was trying to go bang for your buck with the Rokus. But as you know, as a former Roku owner, they have those things where they'll have like movie posters and stuff just scrolling by at the bottom of your screen if you like leave it there mm -hmm. long enough and sometimes it's cool sometimes you're like oh shit i haven't seen that movie i should do it the other day though legally blonde 2 red white and blonde which is the subtitle mm -hmm. of that movie came on and it started just moving crawling from the right side of my screen to the left side of my screen and it was there in my uh, field of view for 35 seconds and i noticed something that i've never noticed before and i just want to ask you about it which is on the Legally Blonde 2 poster, L. Woods, which is Reese Witherspoon's character's name, is mm -hmm. in the Jackie Onassis dress, like the very yeah. famous assassination dress, like where there's a photo of the blood on her as LBJ is swearing in. Mm -hmm. And they made a movie, and I know that they wanted to be like, well, she's a law lady now, but they wanted to skirt away from the pantsuit issue of it all. So they said, who else can we go with? And they decided to go with Jackie, Jackie Onassis on the worst day of her life. Yeah. Why not? I don't see the problem. <laughs> You're telling I mean, me that I, no I, one I never got made there? I never made that connection to be honest with you, but now that you're saying it, like I can see it because I did see it the other day. I still have a Roku and uh, like I, I also saw Tucker Carlson's face pop up <laughs> just smiling about like Chicago in crisis, Tucker Carlson, and then legally blonde too, red, white and blonde. And I was just like, wow, this is a nice mix. That would, that would make for a nice day. Nice Sunday. Afternoon. A little Tucker and a little L like, cause the weird yeah. thing is like, that's who like, think about who L Woods is in that movie. Who's accepted into Harvard, the first legally blonde anyway, purely mm -hmm. as a diversity hire. Like I, there's no better way to say that. Like they even, they make a point right. to say that in legally blonde one, there are people more qualified, but they want to bring her in, but she would get married to a fucker tarleson you know what i mean that's absolutely the type well i don't know i mean like i i really take umbrage with like the whole movie's framing of her as being unqualified because it sets her up as like the head of a sorority which like college is like she's fucking got straight a's like she's right. in multiple different clubs obviously really fucking smart so it's like it's they, they didn't have to bend over backwards to make her look like a plausible entry it's just that she's mm -hmm. kind of ditzy which is, I don't know, uh, feels a little misogynistic to me in hindsight, <laughs> maybe, even though the movie is like kind of about misogyny, but I right. don't know. Do you think it's something that's going to get addressed? J just so you know, Legally Blonde 3 in the works after all these years, all these questions really? that we've been asking. Yeah, is is like, uh, Jay Cool coming back? Jennifer the Coolidge? whole crew's coming back. The whole crew's nice. coming back. They're, first of all, I know it's Legally Blonde starring Reese Witherspoon, but I think we all know there is no Legally Blonde without Jennifer Coolidge. She was the hardest. I mean, soul. everybody's all there for the Ben and Snap lady, even if they don't know right. her name. They're like, are they going to do the bit again? And then they do, and people lose their shit. Christian. I was talking to my therapist who used to be a uh, a dancer in Broadway still has a lot of friends there and uh she has a friend who was in the Legally Blonde musical <laughs> and oh, she yeah. just got like that like but like they're on the ground floor like one of the training dancers they were going through numbers and they were still writing the show and like figuring it out and they said like you know the toughest thing to crack was the bend and snap musical number because they expect it but it can't be right. what's expected you know what I'm saying mm. and like and I was sitting there just being like wow talk about uh like having to go to work and care about something that you yeah, maybe don't care about you know i mean in hindsight i feel like the most surprising thing is if they didn't make that a musical number they just did it as a very quick joke like and abruptly ended the scene you know
well like they build up like they do the thing where the band like strikes up and you're like "Uh oh here we go and then it's spend and snap and like lights go down (laughs) musical intermission but they never come back after intermission they never come they don't even resolve the story people what they wanted why they they just end with a dead-end punchline just a pale imitation of the film uh speaking of jennifer coolidge though i did want to like ask you i've been watching the white lotus uh the new mike white show i've heard it's wonderful yeah yeah Uh, jennifer coolidge is fucking killing it i don't know how old she is at this point i haven't seen her in a while but uh really highly recommend it's about a bunch of awful rich people colliding with each other yeah, I um I've heard it's wonderful and I also really love Mike White and I think Enlightened is one of the most criminally underrated shows ever. It's it's so good. Right. Um so I'm definitely eager to like kind of return to it. I I know it's like not the kind of uh, my mom's going through all these like mini series right now and she just did The Undoing, which I didn't really like, but she watched Mayor of East Town and she liked that and stuff. Yeah. Uh and and I looked at that and I looked at the talent and I was like, "Ah, eh, should probably skip this one." <laughs> I don't think she's going to like this because I love Mike White, but Mike White makes choices that I think make people uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. You know? Well, like, like uh, one thing about this show that is really strange and I love it for it. It's got this very abrasive tribal jungle soundtrack with like monkey noises and birds and everything so that you're watching these rich people lose their shit with like monkey noises. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, parrots like steel and drums like going like crazy. So it's like it puts you on edge the entire time, which is great. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, so uh, how do we make that into a musical? That's the real question. Jeez. Uh, well, I mean, you know, you'd have to have a musical number about Steve Zahn's balls because that's a big <laughs> that's plot a topic. point. That, that's a, that's a that discussion point. Huge. <laughs> then you just go from there. You know, that's the opening that, number. I was thinking about that just because, like, um, I think whenever you bring something to the stage, right, it becomes mm-hmm. a super different thing in a weird way because when uh whenever my therapist was telling me about the legally blonde musical i was like that's funny max told me uh that um you took your mom to to the beetlejuice one and that was like a whole fucking thing we talked about this on this podcast we're like man some decisions got made there like it yeah. it, it, it it became official canon but also sort of like did it was a bizarro the- alternate yeah. reality requel almost it was like the, what evil dead 2 is to evil dead 1 it's just like <laughs> no. ah, look it. we're gonna cover it but we're gonna do it our way <laughs> you know we're gonna get through the same yeah. plot points so what would be the like your dream broadway show to make Oh, geez. I mean, I feel like, would it be a full-on musical? Like, huge production, everything, the works? Yeah, I mean, you can do either, like, the Hamilton where everything is diegetically songs, you know, so there's no dialogue in between the musical numbers, or you could do the old-fashioned, like, hey, there's stakes, but we got to talk in song afterwards, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, for some reason, the first thing I can think of is something like Glen Gary, Glen Ross, but it's got, like, a cool (laughs) jazz number, and it's got, like, you know... (laughs) all we have to do is get yeah get a couple you know like yeah and you could probably write that yourself right like coffees for closers that's the big one that's the bend and snap of it all you know a always b (laughs) b c i don't know that that's just like one of many numbers that (laughs) oh so it's like a a yeah exactly you know oh dude i think get alec baldwin to reprise his role as young alec baldwin in Glengarry Glen Ross, the Glensicle. The Glensicle. I'm actually totally with it. And then just like Steak Knives is another song, you know? And we just go through the whole, all the hits of Glengarry Glen Ross. Dude, speaking of uh, of um, Alec Baldwin, I'm watching this show on Peacock 
I don't own Peacock though, so I've done. This is what Peacock does as a business model. They're like, just a taste. Here's three episodes of whatever show you want to watch. Then paywall. It's infuriating. Like, just mm -hmm. have it with all the ads and, and give it to me still. But they don't do that. But I'm watching this Dr. Death show on Peacock, which has Alec Baldwin, Christian Slater, and uh, Joshua Jackson, the guy who's in Fringe and Dawson's Creek and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and here's the thing. It's the most insane show I've ever seen because it's a subdued Alec Baldwin. I think we all forgot that Alec Baldwin became Jack Donaghy in our collective brains for like a decade where we, when we saw Jack Donaghy, we just figured, Hey, that's Alec Baldwin in real life. That's all he can do is that mm. weird manic energy or whatever. Uh, but so subdued and like so gentle and it, it's freaking me out. It's a really good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a good wreck. Uh, I think that my go-to for Alec Baldwin will always be like 1993 or four is the shadow. Uh, cause that's the first Alec Baldwin film I saw and he's not great in it and it's not a great film, but he's in it. And I remember that. So when I think Alec Baldwin, I before think before Beetlejuice, I think I saw it before Beetlejuice cause it came out like right around the time I was able to go to theaters, you know, when I was like three or four years old. So I, I went yeah, and saw that's a good question. Hold on. I might have to pull this shadow. up. We have the internet at our fingertips, but I'm so curious. What was our first Alec Baldwin? <laughs> like this should be a new thing where we, we go into the dusty right. recesses of our mind to figure out what was the first time we saw someone and what the fuck was going on there. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> what the fuck was going on? <laughs> because Glengarry Glenn Ross, unless I'm mistaken, it's like 91, 92, right? It's like very early on. It wouldn't necessarily be our thing. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I would not have seen that as a young child also is my main thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. The Shadows 94. That was like you were, you were youngish there. And I don't, yeah. I don't, you didn't do anything else really. Like Notting Hill, get out of here. No. Yeah, I mean, the movie opens with Alec Baldwin as an opium drug kingpin He's sitting on like a literal throne and he has super long nails or whatever. And someone's like, I see the magic in you, Alec Baldwin. And he's like, fuck off, I'm a drug guy. And then uh, he fights a little knife and then the movie starts and it's like, great. Did you, watch that, did you watch the first episode of that Refn Amazon show, the Too Old to Die Young one? No. The first never... one, but hold on, this is very important because one of the bald ones, one of, you know, the, one of the like, I'm, I think there's seven or eight of them. It might be Billy, yeah. could be Daniel, could be Steven, could be right. Chuck. There's gotta be a Chuck, right? A Chuck no one Baldwin. can tell. Alec is the only one who looks kind of different. Uh, no, he's the one who got all the good genes. It's sort of like the Hemsworth brothers where you look at them and they, it almost looks like the de-evolution scale. I, I feel mm -hmm. like there's three brothers. You always see this happen. It's like, you remember multiplicity where every time Michael Keaton made another one of himself, he got dumber. That's like yeah. the gene portion of it. It's like it gets distorted. So Alec yeah, Baldwin is pristine. Only, there's only so many genes, right? So back in the day when we had 14 kids, like that 14th kid was just... Oh yeah, it was like you couldn't leave. They locked him in a basement and they like didn't let him see sunlight. That's what the man in the iron mask was really about. You know what right. I mean? Just like, yeah, oh like fuck. That, <laughs> that mutated guy in Midsummer or whatever. Right. See, they're more free than we are. In Midsummer, they were like letting him out, letting him enjoy the sunlight like he's a regular person. I would have kept yeah. him in a cellar. That's all I'm saying. I ain't trying to be mean. Yeah, those those Midsummer cultists were really enlightened in a lot of ways, I think. So actually, it is the the other good Baldwin, which is, I believe, William Baldwin, uh, who was in The Squid and the Whale, too. Very funny in Squid and the Whale. I actually really like him yeah. in that movie. But in Too Old to Die Young, he plays like a movie producer, super, super rich. And uh, Marcella Tyrell plays his daughter in this thing. 
And there's a scene where, where Miles Teller has to go meet the dad for the first time. But Miles Teller is like 12 years older than this 18 year old girl that he's dating. So this is a really awkward scene where it's just like William Baldwin and, and Miles Teller. And he is coked out of his mind. And he even has these like visual tics where like he'll just like uh, like freak out for a second during this performance and he just keeps talking through a stuffed tiger toy and it's the wow. most unhinged alec baldwin shit so when you're telling me this this opening scene of the shadow i'm like oh fuck like yeah. they they were born to play these roles yeah yeah no like when, when i think of alec baldwin i think that's the guy that can convincingly play an opium you know drug kingpin in the <laughs> turn of the century Definitely, well, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser in that bedazzled movie where he wants to be rich and powerful, and he becomes a Colombian drug lord. Yeah, we're in the Fraser zance right now, right? Like, I think it's starting. Finally, we got Doom Patrol. We got No Sudden Move. Uh, luck, Doom Patrol is uh, actually really. I mean, I don't know if it's still really good, but he is really good in it. Like, and it's weird because he is the emotional entry point. There, you don't see his face really. Like ninety five percent of the time, it's that robot. But his voice do, acting is so good. You know? Do they make Brendan Fraser wear that robot appliance? No, they, they have, have someone like else standing. Oh come on! Okay. Yeah, no, it's but it's really well, funny. There, there are a couple scenes where they'll cut back in time in it to show what, mm -hmm. what Cliff was up to before he became uh, this guy because he was a NASCAR driver. And then it's like right. they'll show and be like, I got to do a pit stop really quick. And then he's just going and like fucking people and cheating on his mm -hmm. wife and at the pit stops and then comes back and stuff. But they don't even try to age him down. Like it's very clearly an overweight 48 year old version of Brendan Fraser who's supposed to be playing 25. And, and like, it's a choice. They know what they're doing yeah. and it's a great choice. I, I would rather they do that than try to, you know, make the poor guy lose a bunch of weight or something. I, I just want him to be happy, you know? The Save Brendan movement <laughs> seems to have worked for now. Well, this is what we're talking about with that whale. He's doing that Aronofsky movie where he's playing like an 800 pound person. And I'm just like, you know, if he really wants to win the Oscar, like well, he'll like gain the weight. An 800 pound person. And he'll yeah. die in the process. And we'll give him that Oscar because that's what you need to do to win an Oscar. Unless you're Chadwick Boseman. And then right. we'll, we'll give you an Oscar as long as you die for it. It would be really great if ghosts were real so that he could see that posthumously and be like, I've done all I needed to do, but then he still sticks around anyway. Let me ask you a question. What would be the bigger existential thing for us if we knew that ghosts were real or if aliens showed up? Um, I feel like ghosts, it would just be like, okay, sure. Like, great. You're dead. I get it. You know, but aliens, it's uh, that's a whole other ballgame. I think that would be way more existentially terrifying to me. I don't know. I think the proof of an afterlife, whether it's a, a Christian Judea or whatever, it's just the fact that there's like a, that changes the game for me because I'm always just like, oh, what if people are watching me? You never have privacy in this world. Every right. everything you ever do is observed by the ghosts. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like everything we ever do is observed by everything in our homes anyway, so it wouldn't really make that much of a difference to me. This is like something weird. I'm living back in the suburbs now. I understood yeah. when it was New York City. And there were like security cameras everywhere. But like in the suburbs, like every single house has multiple security cameras around the perimeter in a low crime neighborhood. And it's just like there's nowhere in the world where we're not being surveilled. So throw some extra ghosts in there. Who gives a shit? My phone's been listening to me longer than you, ghosty. <laughs> right. And a ghost can't like the thing is, even if a ghost is going to fuck with your privacy, a ghost can't like fuck with you. You know, that's a poltergeist. Yeah. Poltergeist can fuck with you, but a ghost. Yeah. But, but a ghost that's not actionable. Like they can't do anything. <laughs> not a, you're not actionable ghost. You're a false threat ghost. 
<laughs> he's just like, I'm already dead. Like, why? <laughs> he's just crying in a corner. He doesn't even have a choice. He just has to watch watch us take poops and make pizzas. That really is, I think. Like, imagine if you like, imagine if you're Elvis and you died on the toilet, and like forever you were stuck in the room in which you died. See, and that's gonna be cool. Sometimes you die on the dance floor at Studio 54 in 1976. You're having a fucking gay old time. You know what I mean? Right. But, you die in Graceland on the toilet full of barbs, it's over. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, eventually Studio 54 or wherever you are gets demolished, right? It would be cool to die in the woods or something and then just be surrounded by woods. It would just be super chill. If you die in like a cramped uh, gold-trimmed, I assume, bathroom, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that becomes a museum um, where a bunch of people dressed like you go to visit you and do bad impressions like, rest in peace, king. You know, that yeah, would be you know, upsetting. I feel like Elvis is approaching Jesus Christ levels of being like annoyed at his own image. If if, if yeah. he is a ghost, right? Like if Jesus comes back and sees all the crucifixes, he's like, what the fuck? But, but Elvis, it's like, he said he wanted this. He built an effigy to himself and then got annoyed yeah. by it. It's his own fault. But you know what? Uh, I, I feel like the people who give a shit about Elvis are like very rapidly dying off. Um so I'm pretty sure we're going to enter into like this kind of post anyone caring about Elvis time. You know, I don't know. I was going to say I'm getting older and I think I'm liking Elvis way more than I ever did. But I'm understanding that Elvis is not the great artist that people try to sure. say he is. But he's a one. I think he was a really charismatic yeah. performer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm not saying like, you know, not not to appreciate the guy's work or his voice or like what he brought to the industry or whatever. But. I'm just saying the cult aspect. I don't think it's going to carry on generation to generation. Like, I don't see. Well, I already feel like, yeah, like, yeah, being yeah, like yeah. oh, Elvis. They don't yeah. give a shit. I think it's going to be, you know, these things go in waves, right? And we're finally getting mm -hmm. to that point where we can sort of see people who were really big deal like even as a kid elvis was elvis and i think elvis will always be around as an image like maybe long after the music or whatever there'll still be some fat elvis on on the las vegas strip and viva las vegas like so that's that's right. one thing but it's really interesting you're right that when i was a kid elvis still meant something and now it's like no one's talking about elvis like the beatles like they're still the beatles they're still tugging along mm -hmm. people still have reverence for them but is it just because like he's dead and he's not around? Like McCartney comes out and does something cute and everyone's like, ah, the Beatles. Yeah, yeah well, McCartney's still still around. And I mean, like the Beatles had much more diverse music that can like still endure for a lot longer. I yeah. think that appeal appeal to a wider swath of people. Not to talk about this game all the fucking time, but Fallout New Vegas does have a gang <laughs> called time. the Kings. Uh -huh. um, called the Kings. They all dress and talk like Elvis, but they have no idea who this guy was. They just found an <laughs> Elvis impersonator school. They found a bunch of cops costumes and recordings of his voice are like called himself the king must be worth uh imitating or something okay that you know? is the, you've never sold me on a detail that would make me want to stop everything and play that game more than that detail right there i'm not even kidding i'm gonna download this game right now this is what i'm doing for the next like six weeks of my life it's just playing fallout new vegas fucking finally yes that was the way to do it you, you spoke right. my language it was just like because that's what i'm saying like imagine that like uh, you know, um, I wanted to write a sci-fi story at some point where like, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, humans got off of Earth or whatever so much so that we like didn't know original Earth anymore. It was something we we heard about in whispers. We knew the legends of original Earth, but like this whole generation of people for thousands and thousands of years had no idea. And then one day Earth stops communicating and they go back or whatever. Um, 
But what I liked about that is like you would be able to go through the wreckage of our civilization, right? We're in the Anthropocene mm -hmm. right now, the the measurable geological moment that humans have impacted. And so it's like, yeah, you could study. You would go to some fucking school in the rubble that had Elvis right. stuff and find like a fucking a recording, a Thomas Edison, Mary had a little lamb recording that became like your Rosetta Stone for civilization. <laughs> and the entire <laughs> civilization would restart in the image of Elvis Presley. You know what I'm saying? And I find that hysterical it's amazing yeah like you never know what's going to survive and like some of those fuckers in the 50s built gigantic fucking tombs for themselves mm -hmm. to be housed in you know <laughs> underground vaults for their music to never decay in um and maybe that's all that is going to be left you know what if all we have in you know a thousand years from now surviving from our culture is like elvis and dj khaled records you know <laughs> i wouldn't do listen dj you said it the other day and it's true maybe the most talentless fuck in the world, but is one of the richest, most omnipresent like personalities. And at some point that does take skill. Like if you're asking me yeah. right now, who's going to be around in 500 years, it's going to be like, I don't know, like Shakespeare, uh, the Beatles, Woody Allen, and then DJ Khaled. I don't know. That's, that's my personal fucking vibe, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, he, he is a multi, multi, he is rich beyond a measure I can comprehend. And right. he got by just by sheer force of his like apparent, personality and charisma Say i don't see one. it but other people do he invented a lot of sayings he memed himself into stardom so that's got to take skill well he'll do it, it he'll bury himself with his stuff you know it's like because that's like what we're doing with like egyptian pharaoh stuff right like we, we right. bury ourselves with the riches i'd be funny it's really funny in america we have and probably in other countries but you hear it here a lot it's like well can't take it with you and that's right. like, what if, the, what, what if you can? Like, what right. if the afterlife is real? And it's like, it's dope to be rich in the afterlife because it was dope to be rich in real life. Why wouldn't you yeah. take it with you? Well, I mean, that's the whole under the silver lake thing, right? Spoiler yeah, that, well, that's why it made me think no that. Saw. Yeah. The modern but, um, kings, but they're going to bring it, you know? Yeah, all those billionaires just sealed themselves off in, uh, in tombs with a couple of, uh, like, couple of ladies yeah. and die so that they can ascend to the spirit plane and rule over heaven or some shit. The weird thing about that is like, I think if you're a billionaire and you're so removed from the actual quotidian experiences of anyone else, like at some point, why is that any less plausible of an afterlife than anything else that we're preaching, you know? Yeah, I mean, like contextually, being a billionaire really does fuck with me. Uh, just watching that show's succession, like a feeling that I got that made me understand, I think, in a way that I never did before was just that being that rich puts you at such a complete remove from anyone else yeah. that I could almost understand you not even associating like what you do and how that ripple affects to millions and millions of people, you know? Yeah. Like how how can you even like quantify that as a human? But these people have that power and they're just like, ah, fuck it. I do a bunch of coke and, uh, you know, fuck up relations with China. I don't know. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> That's what happens. Everyone knows it's a cautionary tale. They tell you that. I used to watch little after school specials and they'd say, now listen, kids, like, don't mm -hmm. do a lot of coke and mess up relations with China. It's going to come back to bite you in the ass later. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think about that too. I think if I was a billionaire, I'd just be really profoundly sad that I have all this wealth, but I can't seem to do anything. We've, we've talked about this before. All we need is like 10, 15 billionaires to say, let's get on the same page. Let's solve one thing. Yeah. Like, we can like do it in the environment. Like what if they took that spaceship money and instead fixed the planet that we're on? Because we know we fucking know you and me and a lot of other people that you and me and a lot of other people are never going to go to space. We're never yeah. going to be the people going to that colony on Mars. You know, that's going to be reserved either for 
suicidal people who have to set that shit up or very, very wealthy people who can buy their way off a dying planet. It's going to be Elysium right. all over again. No, it really, it really is because the, obviously the first people who are going to get that are going to be the people who can afford that. It's not going to be this like com- uh, this uh, commercial thing that is accessible to the lower class. And what you said is you're right. The first people are going to be the mentally ill people who are, for lack of a better word, crazy enough to go right. and be the space monkeys, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we talk about this all the time. It's like, uh, we just put dogs and left them in space. No one wants to admit that because that's horrific that we did right. that to a living thing. But that's what we're going to have to do to actual humans. That's what we're going to do. The, the plan right now is 2028, 20, 2029, I think, where we're supposed to get the first manned mission or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like, that's not going to be... <laughs> It's not going to be like the Nobel Prize winners. It's going to be the people that they want to be like the proletariat, the people that are going to right. do the manual labor to it's set it up for the rich people. Richard Branson is going to set up the Virgin Space Colony. Fucking How Jeff great would Bezos that be? Like, the- I would I would have no problem with, with Richard Branson or Bezos. And like, look, I get it. We fucked up here on Earth. But on Mars, we could be new. <laughs> And then they really do. They like put, they lay the foundation, you know, right. they're doing the 3d printing that what they said is they're going to bring a 3d printer, the components for a 3d printer to build on Mars and then use mm. Mars material to make the shelters and components, mm. which is amazing. So it's not things yeah. we're bringing from earth. It's not earth made materials. We're literally going to make Mars and build he, stuff out of it. That's amazing. Um, do you think that Bezos and like, you know, Musk are going to get out there with like a backhoe and just start, you know, Man, oh, doing yeah. manual labor, wipe the sweat off their billionaire <laughs> brows. Well, We're because all the they can same finally, on Mars, guys. They, they can finally understand the value of a dollar. I mean, it's a Martian right. dollar, which is non-existent, but they'll 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 do it between themselves. Because that yeah. isn't that a buddy cop. Like I would watch that too. Not a buddy cop, but like like a reality show where we sent the two richest billionaires in the world off to right. Mars to do it. Be like, do what you think regular people do, like to build a society, since it's so easy. Because that's the right. thing I think we lose track of all the time. When you're a billionaire, you have money, you have all these mechanisms and a machine that will allow you to live your life in the way you want. But ground zero civilization, we've both read Sapiens and it's this fascinating thing where everything that we did, which seemed very small and maybe insignificant at the time, which had evolutionary like societal cultural changes, uh, took a long time. It was not something we did very quickly. So I'm just like throw Bezos and Branson on there and let them just figure it out since it's so fucking easy. Right. Yeah. Two, two billion. I, I mean, you know, if you throw Musk in the mix, then it's going to get really tricky because that's a volatile personality. But sometimes a volatile personality is what you need to get progress going. Get you shit know? done. Yeah. Even if one of them kills the other one with a fucking, you know, femur bone oh, of one of the original settlers. <laughs> it's original of Mars. sin. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's like even we we poisoned the stars with our bullshit. Like we had a chance yeah. to be to start over, and, I mean, and Elon Musk just a, beat someone to death with a fucking blunt instrument. You can't tell me that's not going to happen. That is definitely going to happen. <laughs> you you know I something mean. that I saw space related that fucked me up too is what? that we are you know aside from the colonies, like we are going to have rich people now going off into space for these little mini space trips or whatever. And yeah. they said, like, the new Instagram trend in, like, five or whatever years is going to be pictures from space or selfies from space. And it just, uh, I don't know why that fucked me up a little bit. It's not a grand cosmological fucking concern of mine, but it is, 
does make me a little bit. It fucks me up a little bit, but let me tell you, we're also going to be the first people to witness a space catastrophe from inside the spaceship. Like, you know, that's going to happen. Like, first of all, all technologies fuck up at some point. Planes still crash occasionally. Mm -hmm. Right. So something's going to happen where it's going to be like a shaky Instagram, like selfie. And then everyone just sucked out into the vacuum of space and the live stream still going. Fucking Bezos's dick rocket is going to like hit a (laughs) pelican on the way up and just explode. Of I mean, course, it's, it's like you think about happen. this, it's like that's the same thing with the sky. So it's like the chances you're going to hit a bird are small. It happens, obviously, Sally and shit like that. But but mm-hmm. so space is even more. So it's so empty that you're not supposed to technically run into anything. The space between objects is so great. And right. yet we're going to see it happen. Like it's yeah. it, it's going to cause a gravity situation. Just like, uh, sorry, control. I see something out the uh, left <laughs> side window here. Looks like the bones of a large dog. Oh God. Uh, it's coming closer it's coming oh god oh god what if space just kept him alive he's like i'm bones now but i'm still alive and he's fucking pissed you know what he's i'm mad. saying like, yeah and he gets on there and he's like let me let me talk to whoever the fuck's in charge we gotta have some <laughs> words he developed language <laughs> in space <laughs> give me the president on the line but he's a dog you know He's like, wait, the human president or the dog president? It's like, whichever. Whoever's got wait, higher authority. You're saying dogs aren't president yet? What the fuck? It's been 60 fucking years. Can we write that story about the dog you got sent out to space and we just make a quiet, meditative, like a ad astra, just like as this dog just like looks into the nothingness and slowly disintegrates. Sure. But the, the second half of the story is he comes back and now he is the Prometheus for all other dogs. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's the first he's the he's the first one who gains sentience and the ability to, to articulate. And, and he, it he gives starts, them all the confidence in themselves to yeah. actually be as smart as they really are. I think dogs could do it because we are disarmed by them. We think that they're our cute best friends. We would never see it coming. It would be the Ed yeah. Tubrute of of like all of humanity. <laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, I think about that Rick and Morty episode all the time, where the dogs get just a little bit smarter and like it's <laughs> it lights out for humanity. You know? Yeah. Well, that because again, like pets. dogs only did it because it was just easier to get food from us than it was to like fight us for food. You know, like packs right. of ravenous dogs, I think, would take us pretty easily, you know, but yeah. <laughs> they chose and to I be mean, lazy. You you know all about this. You just trained a wolf, you know, I did. so yeah. you, you know how that is. That's <laughs> tough. A wolf in our D&D. We're doing a D&D session for anyone who's listening, which is interesting because I've never done D&D before, really, except a one off with you uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. But I love it. It's a lot of fun. And yeah. on page one, I trained two wolves. And I yeah. lost one on page five, but hey, might come back. You didn't see it die. That's true. Uh, I guess. Uh, why'd you bring Wolf Death into this? How are you like? And how are you liking creating worlds in a? I mean, it's not real time. I guess you do put a lot of planning into this, but you also have to be on your toes about what we decide to do at any given moment. How hard is that for you? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a just a constant learning experience, but I am loving the challenge, you know, um, but it is this thing where in the first couple of sessions we did, I way over planned it because I thought I could predict what you guys would generally do. And I could not at all. Like I learned that lesson very quick. So now all I do is just I know what characters are going to be in an area. And if you go to another area, uh, I have some characters for that and just see what you do. Yeah. And so far, you guys have been fucking carrying the whole story. So it's great. Oh, yeah, it's fun. We've had Mrs. Crawford. Is that her name? My favorite character. <laughs> yeah. Missy Crawford. Missy Crawford. Curtis Hyde. 
Uh, I mean, I like it because I see so many parallels to our world, you know, uh, mm. wake up juice, uh, proselytizing pedophile uh, uh, preachers, you know, it's got all the hits of a D&D yeah. story. Exactly. You know, like just looking at the horrors of the American South and figured that'd be a fun setting for a campaign. <laughs> See, that's again, it's just like, oh, depending on uh, your upbringing and socioeconomic and skin color, like ge all geography is is at, is at play. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> like, like if you're a white person born in any time period in the American South, you're going to be fine. It's going to be cool for you, probably. Yeah. I mean, it, it's literally like Tom Sawyer, where you're just like, you know, tricking people into painting fences and whistling around and pretending to be dead and shit. Listen, can I fucking say something that people aren't going to like, but it's the truth? Hmm. Tom Sawyer's not a good book. It's fine. It's fine. And Mark Twain's an incredible writer. Huck Finn is fucking wonderful. And there's a lot of other great things that he did. But yeah. Tom Sawyer is not that good of a book, and I don't understand why it's talked about in the same way. He's just such a unlikable protagonist to me, and that's fine if it's deliberate. But I feel like people miss that point <laughs> altogether. He's like he's cunning, he's witty. It's like he's, he's a fucking he's so he's, he's so a plantation owner is basically what he's doing. He's like convincing right. people to fucking do shit against their best interest and. Yeah, he's like the white masculine ideal. He can do whatever the fuck he wants with no consequences or regard for anyone else. And by he the just end gets of the to blame book, the everybody red loves him. Yeah, yeah. Injun Joe. <laughs> it's like oh, Injun yeah. Joe Injun wasn't jo even in town. What are you talking about? I don't know if you remember in Disney World, they used to have an actor play Injun Joe and chase you around God. like Thomas Sawyer Land or whatever. Tom Sawyer, they gave him the whole land? Of course they well, did. Yeah, there, there was like the cave and everything. And yeah, wow. yeah, they used to have, I remember that. It was a uh, whole thing. When did they get rid of that? I mean, because you imagine that that I was mean, like a they, cultural thing. They just now fixed the Jungle Cruise, which had a lot of offensive shit. Yeah. So that took them 70 years. I think I it's know. just interesting how we look at all of this stuff and we don't see it for what it is. I'm always fascinated by pirates and like mm. the fact that we Disneyfied pirates and we're like, oh, they're fun. Literal slave traders, like literal rapist villagers, like the worst of humanity got to yeah. do it and got romanticized as long as they did it on the high seas, which is sort of insane to me. Yeah, well, they had them singing that pirate song. They even did have slave trading going on on that ride, you know, but they were singing yo-ho, yo-ho, so it was fine. It was, it was fine. fine. Yeah. You know, Walt Disney knows what's up. Don't you can pretty up slavery with a with a jaunty tune as long as those fucking brothers. Who were the brothers who wrote all the famous songs? Do you remember the name? I, uh, yeah, well, I saw that movie about the same of that Banks. yeah yeah i saw that well I, I don't know what their names are what i know is that their relationships fucking metal because like one of them was this amazing like pianist composer and the other guy like was a war veteran who saw shit like really bad <laughs> shit but wrote beautiful songs <laughs> it's amazing because he like he wrote like the most beautiful when you wish upon a star all the most like mm -hmm. famous classy things but he like right. liberated the jews from the right. from, from dachau and stuff like that and it's like oh my jesus God. christ he's just yeah. in concentration camps playing his head where right. he, when he's just like singing like imagine it's I mean, a small world he's just seeing emaciated fucking prisoners and you're like oh my god right. this guy went through some shit but that was their dynamic you know someone had to, to be the the tortured artist i guess i feel like nobody has to be the tortured artist like can we just dispel with that notion well i mean what was he was literally a tortured artist I mean, he was tortured in the war and right, he brought right, the war right, back right. with him i'm just saying what was he supposed to do because my point is this Okay. If he doesn't find songwriting, if he doesn't find that thing that allows him to work with his brother and give him a purpose, 
what happens to that guy who saw horrific things? You know what I mean? Uh, he gets uh, the 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 shakes. Or he gets a he GI gets, bill. Uh, he goes home. He what, gets college. He gets a fucking affordable FDA loan, and he starts a family. What did what did they call PTSD back before they shell knew shock. it was PTSD? Yeah, they would yeah. say, "Oh, he's a little shell shocked." That Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, uh, Jim, uh, you know, uh, he works at his own hardware store. He paid for the school with the GI bill. Yeah. You know, that's what they'd say about him. And then he'd die of a heart attack at like 45. I actually really like shell shocked as a term. I think it, yeah. like, like as long, I'm not saying it should be interchangeable. Obviously, I like post-traumatic stress more. But we have plenty of things where we have like cute little names for it. And then we have the scientific mm-hmm. name, you know, mostly STDs. Yeah. <laughs> shell shock is just a pleasant word to say. It's yeah, like but... cellar door, you know? Oh, it's yeah. shell shock. Yeah, no, like you're it right. just rolls off the tongue. Feels PTSD. Nice. It sounds like someone's stabbing my brain with a knife, just a little bit. Just maybe the point. Maybe they're like, no, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have to hang up on all the sharp edges of these consonants. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're probably gonna get a shell shock over there, son. He's like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. They're like, we gotta come up with another word for this. Right, Jesus. right. People were on hype. They're like, fuck <laughs> yeah, shell shock, shell shock. That'd be great if like every time they blew the fucking whistle on no man's land, they're like. <laughs> And everyone's jumping over the thing and they're just like shell shock and they're shooting in no man's hey everybody we should call ourselves the shell shockers that'd be holy shit dude tmnt world war one origin story and we get the ninja turtles there and they're literally called the shell shockers and they just go out and they single-handedly win the war tell come on tell me that one sell something instead we got wonder woman but if we got the the turtles just raiding those trenches running across no man's land Fucking using their shells to block the bullets in slow motion. <laughs> Forget about it. I would like that. I mean, but a part of me really wants the, like the real life carnage of of artillery shelling <laughs> to hit a turtle shell and just like do what it's going to do and just decimate. Like, uh, who's right. the one that we hate the most? Donatello. I don't like Donatello that much. Probably, yeah. Get out of there, Donatello. You ain't no Mikey. I remember like, Michelangelo is my favorite growing up. But yeah. I think it's just because that was my favorite artist at the time of yeah. those, you know? When I was young, I was a Michelangelo. The older I get, I'm a Raphael. You know what I mean? Like, I like that was probably the original <laughs> Sex of the City stuff. Like, oh, you're such a Samantha. <laughs> like, you're such a Raphael. <laughs> okay, and can we do that? Sex of the City Renaissance? Width, I think. Yeah, 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 we'll exactly. just do that. Like, do, 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 do. It's just like them fucking in Renaissance Italy fucking shit up, getting drunk. Okay, first I thought you were saying the turtles instead of the women in sex. And oh no, now, now we're going back. <laughs> well, okay, we can do so either. We're, we're Look, saying... they're both gold, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I think that the way to revitalize the Sex in the City thing is to do exactly like you said, like make it like Assassin's Creed, and you could have them in the future, you could have them in the past. Every season right. is a new, like time travel situation, but they're still just getting drunk and talking <laughs> shit and trying to hook up, like. No, that's interesting, too, because you take a Samantha who is not going to be in the remake, apparently. But if you take all the ladies and you put them in in Renaissance Italy or something where I guess it was all good or ancient Rome, they would have a great time in ancient Rome, you know, because it was just orgies all the time. We all saw Caligula, right? And they're all white, you know, they're all white. Yeah, they get away with it at any point in history, almost anywhere. Right, but then we do like Sex in the City, uh, Salem, Massachusetts. You know what I mean? And we just see how that plays out. That would be the final season for sure. Do 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 do. Just flames. 
you just hear the cracking of shit. Like right. that's what plays for the last 29 minutes of Sex of the City. And like they fucking ended it definitively. <laughs> like they, they, they walk in, they walk in the wooden gates of wherever. <laughs> just immediately they have their little handbag and like a little chihuahua or something immediately. Which <laughs> Uh, I need that in my life. I never realized how, uh, you know, uh, there's so much variety that you can you can put onto the Sex and City format. Because I thought change yeah. the city, but that doesn't make sense. Just change the time period, you know? You change the time period, put them anywhere you want. I think that a lot of the best ideas and some of like the best things are just when someone's like, hey, what would be, wouldn't be, wouldn't it be cool if we just like drop these people into this situation? Or like if we took this property and did some crazy shit with it and somebody says yes. And that's an example of like that thing, I think potentially working out. I think it should get made. I think it needs to get made. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. How do we do it? I mean, I, we need an elevator pitch. This is the one time where I have a concise elevator pitch. <laughs> Right. Can can we get a God a Phil Lord and Chris Miller in on this? Oh, God, you know, they would just, nail it. Just, just to help shepherd it. They're the know? kings of taking bad ideas and making them good. We hand them an actual yeah. good idea. Holy shit! They're they were the only ones I was thinking about when I was stumbling through that whole spiel about you know sometimes you got to pitch a thing. Those yeah. guys would kill it. They sold yeah. people on Twenty One Jump Street with Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, and it worked twice. And it worked twice. So I think we can get about five, six of these Sex in the City movies. We just got to figure out the best locations and time periods to put them. But I think we know where we're ending, which is the Salem Witch yeah. Trials. Yeah. It would be a short film, you know, a coda. <laughs> we do. That, that one's like a three-hour runtime. But I really want the last 45 minutes just to be like silently people watching them burn. And and they don't scream or anything. It's just the cracking of the wood and the occasional right. cracking of bones and eye sockets and stuff. Does Samantha like start hemming some of the women's dresses, some of the Puritans to like show a little bit more ankle or something? And the men are like, I don't like that, even though I do. Maybe they just brought about, no, you could have it another way where like they're time travelers who basically bring about the uh, progressive treatment of women much earlier. Mm. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Well, so it's like, oh, that's God. what they did in Sex and the City, too. I don't know if you heard about this. But, they went back you know, in time? No. Oh, my they God. They did go to some, I think it was Saudi Arabia or Dubai or something. Oh, my God. And they no taught way. all the women there that they didn't need to wear those hijabs and the headdress and everything. So at the end, they ripped them off and let their hair flow and they all looked like <laughs> supermodels. And then it cut to credits, baby. Those white American women taught those other women how to be cultured. See, that would be my act two of that movie. And then act three is the punitive action that comes right. from that. Just the oh, immediate like imprisonment. <laughs> it's the they have Whip Blitzer and the Chiron. It's just like four Americans <laughs> stuck in Saudi Arabia. And it just cuts to them and they're in jail cells and they're all ratty and shit like that. Because yeah. I would like, if there was a dumber international incident, I can't think of one over those four fucks. Yeah, I mean... I I I can't say I'd be tuning in, but I would definitely be watching for the headlines occasionally. <laughs> like, oh, those four rich white women are they still alive? I don't know. Biden has to go to war with Saudi Arabia because oh, <laughs> he knew he knows Samantha from way back then. But you know, there was a couple of weeks where him and Jill Listen, were fighting, and <laughs> I don't put up with that, Jack. I mean, it it would be both more a justifiable war 
than Iraq and simultaneously not. See, that, that would be like its own movie is like Barack Obama calls up Joe Biden. It's, you know, darkest hour at the White House. And he's like, Joe, you got to get him back. America loves him. They love him. He's like, I don't know, Mr. President. He's like, hey, you're Mr. President. No, got to get him back. I love that when this started, Joe Biden was the fatherly figure to Obama. But as Biden is hit his cognitive peak and maybe starts to slip down the ladder a little bit, uh, yeah. Barack Obama has stepped into that role. Yeah, he jostles his hair. He's like, hey, it's okay, right. kiddo. <laughs> Just hits him in the head. Like, I love it. I love it. That's actually yeah. really pretty. That's like the end of the Irishman, like when, when De Niro's right. taking care of fucking Pesci. And I'm like, oh my God. Well, see, yeah, if this was the movie, we'd start off with the sex in the city shit. Who cares? Yeah. They're in prison. And then it's just a movie about Joe Biden and Obama. You want this you to know? be the biopic? Maybe this could be the biopic because everyone else, look, everyone else, they're going to do the fucking, oh, he lost his wife and yeah. his kids and shit like that. I don't know. Fuck that. We skip yeah. all that. We know that yeah. story. We don't even market it as a Biden film. We market it as a sex in the city film where they right. go to prison and then we just cut away and never resolve it. Right. Oh God, we never resolve at the well at the very end. There's a Chiron after a beautiful yeah, moment with like, Barack and it's like oh, four women executed in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Ha! <laughs>